Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we focus on the 2022 Africa Women's Cup of Nations, with South Africa, Senegal, and the host Morocco among the teams to have impressed so far. We also assess the key decisions made by CAF that the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations will be held in January and February of 2024 uh, due to rainy weather in Ivory Coast, and that the African Super League will start in August of next year, and that the CAF Champions League final will return to the home and away format. It will no longer be the decision which I inherited. The decision was taken in 2018 or 2019. That really caused a lot of the problems. That's coming shortly. Plus, Stuart on the latest transfers in the English Premier League. But let's start at the 2022 Africa Women's Cup of Nations in Morocco as the group stage continues, and Senegal and Morocco were the first teams to qualify for the quarterfinals, with both teams in Group A and both getting wins over Burkina Faso and Uganda. South Africa beat Nigeria 2-1 in their opening game in Group C in a clash of the big guns, and then they qualified for the quarterfinals with victory over Burundi on Thursday. So, Ida, what do you make of the game so far? Well, it's certainly been interesting so far. You know, South Africa winning the battle there, though. The war is far from done, I think, and who knows? You know, they just might meet again in the not too distant future. But it was interesting, definitely, to see South Africa dominate the game, you know, and manage, actually effectively manage Oshawala, you know. And Steve, speaking of the top striker, well, it's just not going to be her tournament. An injury taking her out of the Afghan. She's already back in Spain. So between this and the UEFA Women's Champions League loss, you know, we can imagine that it's definitely been a tough time for her. But it was clearly a tactical game for the South African ladies, and one that they executed quite well. I mean, you could see just how surprised, you know, the Super Falcons were, with conceding two goals inside of what three minutes, you know, and just as they were reeling from the first one, then pow, another one came, and now they were spinning. So good were Banyana that they almost had the win with a clean sheet. Nigeria waiting till the very last minute to score, and between this and the last time the, the two sides met prior to this, that was at the Aisha Buhari Cup. That's back-to-back wins for the South African ladies. So, for now, Banyana with a temporary bragging rights. The whole thing also gave me deja vu, you know, from the last Auckland when the same thing happened. South Africa beating Nigeria in the group stage, and then the Super Falcons took the final. So we'll see how it goes this time round. But you could see just what it meant to the South African Steve, even with Coach Desiree's comments after dedicating it to the people back home. Cameroon's opening to the tournament, well, that was surprising. They were yet to get a win two games in, first with that draw to Zambia, 
Now, that wasn't too surprising, but the draw with debutants Togo definitely was. Steve, the indomitable lionesses actually facing a real, real threat of not making it to the next round, let alone even getting to the semifinals, which, if you remember, is what Cameroon FA President Samuel Eto'o had told them was the threshold, because that would give them a realistic shot at a third straight Women's World Cup. So this one has definitely been interesting. They do have one last shot on Saturday, but... The thing about it is once you leave it to the permutations, once you leave it to the math, your future is no longer in your own hands. As for Senegal, well, it's their best showing yet, and I think they should be very proud of themselves. Some saying that they have faced opponents who haven't necessarily been the strongest. I still think, regardless, it's a good showing. We said last week, Steve, how they've exited at the group stage in their previous two Wafkins. So I'm sure that this is a very special thing to them. And look, it does go in line. It's very on brand with how successful Senegalese national football has been this 2022. And also to debutants Botswana, Steve, for not only notching their first ever win at a Wafgun, but also their first ever goals at the tournament. Yes, well done to Botswana for that. Let's go to social media now. And uh, last week on Planet Sport Football Africa, we asked, who are you tipping to win the Women's Africa Cup of Nations? Uh, Nigeria having won nine of the 11 editions, Equatorial Guinea taking the other two, and with South Africa, Cameroon and Zambia among the other main contenders this time, and with Morocco, the host, having a good draw. So we asked, who do you think will be the champions and why? Lots of people thinking that Nigeria will do it. Uh, A.B. Ahmed in Nigeria says the Super Falcons going for La Decima uh, for a 10th title. Sunni Antai says Nigeria all the way. Uh, James Olua Sesan says the Super Falcons of Nigeria will go all the way to victory in Morocco. And Ibarra Adebanjo says, yeah, the Super Falcons will win the cup again. Uh, Fidelis Ejidio for Ogbao who says Super Falcons all the way no time for argument says Fidelis uh, Sola Etiki Pikin also in Nigeria says yes we're the favourites to win because most of the Nigeria players are at good clubs uh, Sojo Oguchi Manume says I stand with Nigeria uh, but otherwise underestimate South Africa at your own peril and Antai in Nigeria says, yes, we'll return home with a 10th trophy. And Ado Ungo, also in Nigeria, goes for the Super Falcons. Uh, others who were not speaking along patriotic lines include Justice Abdul Mumin, who says, I'm from Zimbabwe, but I give it to the Nigeria team. They're just good in this tournament. Mala Kinte in the Gambia says Nigeria will surely win it. The other three semi-finalists will be Cameroon, South Africa and Zambia, says Mala. And Balong Baji, also in the Gambia, says the Super Falcons can win due to their dynamism and their experience. Then Chizobam from Nigeria says Nigeria are the favourites to win the competition 
because they stand tall above every other team. Their desire, passion, zeal, and hunger for the trophy makes them the favourites, says Chizo Bam. Uh, however, Sideko Suno from the Gambia says it's going to be won by Cameroon because they have the same quality of players as Nigeria do. And in Cameroon, Okunga Leo Onemama says Cameroon will win and Tony Galvin says yes, Cameroon to win it uh, this time, trust me. Uh, Clinton and Genge says Cameroon will win it because they're one of the teams that knows how to play very well. This time they're going to perform better than they used to do so. Although uh, having drawn their first two matches, not going as well as expected for the Lionesses. Uh, Mondi Lover to Anyam says Cameroon will win. Nigeria will end their campaign at the semi-final stage, says Mondi. Uh, Joshua Joshua says Cameroon's chances of winning the WAFCON has passed. They had a golden generation who had a chance to uh, break the Super Falcons' dominance many times, but they couldn't do it. So I really doubt it, says Joshua. Uh, Suleiman Jaju says of the Cameroonian squad to take it, and Ramsey Ayong says that the Cameroon Lionesses will win the trophy. Our determination is very high, and we're very hungry to touch the trophy for the first time. Also in Cameroon and supporting the Lionesses are Ntugo Louis and Lokiri Stanley. Uh, but uh, Judah Thaddeus Kong Nhu in Cameroon says South Africa will lift the cup. And elsewhere, Kakungule Ibrahim says, People, please don't forget Uganda this time, although they must beat Burkina Faso in their final group game to progress. Alfred Muanja Kagwa also says, Watch out for Uganda. And Enoch Ofori Bawa says, Where are Ghana? Uh, Ghana having been knocked out by Nigeria in the qualifiers. And finally, Mohamed Kabgo not giving us a tip in Sierra Leone, but saying it's amazing watching African female football. Yeah, indeed it is, and uh, certainly enjoying uh, the action at the Women's Africa Cup of Nations. Thanks to everyone who got in touch. Uh, now, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, uh, to the news from the CAF Executive Committee, who met at the WAFCON and made some important decisions, uh, saying that the Champions League final reverts to the home and away format. Uh, the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations will be held in January and February of 2024, uh, this due to the rainy weather in Cote d'Ivoire in June and July. Also, the African Super League will commence in August 2023. Uh, let's start with the CAF Champions League final. Here's the CAF president, Patrice Motsepe. It will no longer be the decision which I inherited. The decision was taken in 2018 or 2019 that really caused a lot of the problems and, and unhappiness concerning the venue of CAF Champions League. And I said in South Africa, and I repeat, I, I absolutely fully uh, not only understand, uh, but fully appreciate the, the huge amount of unhappiness that the president of Al-Akhli expressed in relation to uh, the, the, the hosting of the CAF Champions, Champions League here. Uh, and, and let me explain to you. The decision was based on legality, on the rules, and more importantly, on a decision that was taken before I arrived. So it's one of those situations where complying with, and of course, uh, Morocco uh, won because uh, for several reasons. Number one is because the infrastructure here is world class. But the second reason, as I said previously, when uh, Senegal withdrew, there was no choice because uh, Egypt did not bid to host it. But my job as 
president of CAF is to treat every club and every nation equally. And uh, the issues of the perception that there are times when Morocco is being favored, uh, it's just that Morocco at times is the only country, it's the only country that bids. And the reason why they bid is because there's a lot of costs and expenses that goes with hosting. And, and my job is not only to thank Morocco, because Morocco also supports many nations. I travel in Africa and I hear so many football presidents, including heads of state, say to me, just thank you for acknowledging the, the, the work, the help that Morocco is providing for football development. That's the CAF president, Patrice Marzepe. Uh, so the CAF Champions League final reverts to the home and away format. Uh, no surprise, I guess, after the controversy around this year's final where Widad Casablanca of Morocco had home advantage over Al-Atli of Egypt in a one-legged final and benefited from massive home support as they took the title. Interesting either to hear Marzepe there insisting they had no alternative and that he feels they inherited a bad policy of the one-legged final. Interesting, but not surprising, Steve. Not in the least, at least to me. It is a total abdication of responsibility because in as much as, yes, these are effects from the previous administration, the institution remains one and the same, despite who is at the helm. So it's quite irresponsible and arrogant even, you know, to chalk up the disorganization and the ensuing controversy entirely to people that, frankly, are no longer even present to answer questions. So, yes, it's easy to see how CAF has reverted to the two-leg final. Frankly, it was the only way, though I'm sure Al-Ali will feel hard done for a long, long time to come. Yeah, they surely will. So also among these announcements are from the CAF president, the African Super League, controversial as it is, is set to commence in August of 2023. Remember, the European Super League didn't get off the ground, but Motsepe says this is going to have lots of benefits for African football, the African Super League. But the key issue for us is really the abnormal, abnormal interest that we've, that we've been exposed to from some of the biggest and most prominent investors and sponsors. We will be engaging with uh, important stakeholders over the next few weeks. A lot of excellent, excellent work has been done. And I want to thank the president of FIFA, Gianni Infantino, and a world-class team from CAF and FIFA have really have been working together and uh, and I think part of the huge excitement is sponsors and investors who are anxious to to partner and to get involved the important matter from from uh, CAF as well is a significant amount of the money from the African Super League slash African Football League will go to the clubs are we are looking at a hundred million dollars to be used as price money. One hundred million dollars to be used as price money. Part of the process involves uh, giving every member association, well, let me say, giving uh, one million dollars every year to every one of the 54 member associations as a contribution to football development, to the youth development, and to football overall in every one of the countries. So big plans there from the CAF president, Patrice Motsepe. Uh, what are your thoughts, Aida? 
Steve, the Champions League as well doesn't seem to be a top priority for the powers that be in African football, right now at least. That status goes to the African Super League. What I'm curious about are the nitty gritties of how it will affect the African football landscape. I mean, a hundred million dollars prize money is big. CAF has said that the Super League and the CAF Champions League will run concurrently, but hasn't been clear about the technicalities of all this. Because look, if you're taking the top 24 teams in the continent, you're putting them in the African Super League, then that will obviously be the top continental competition. Rendering the CAF Champions League, which has 16 teams participating, a second tier competition. And the CAF Confederation Cup, even less than that. So just who will be participating in these other competitions? And will they have the resources to facilitate their participation or... You know, will it just be a matter of time before sustainability of these other two competitions now becomes an issue and they're declared defunct? So, look, there's a lot that's being insinuated without being explicitly stated, if you ask me at least. But the writing does look to be on the wall for some of these things, though they do say that the money will be invested back into African football and uh, that they, this being CAF, of course, want to start what at least I understood as the equivalent of what FIFA do with the forward program. So CAF plan on disbursing $1 million every year to every one of the 54 member associations. This, I would imagine, is, of course, under serious stipulations and regulations, but it will be towards the development of football in the continent. Now, it will be interesting, Steve, very interesting, to see just how the African body maneuvers what UEFA on the other side was so strongly and vehemently against. Anyway, this is something that has had the backing of FIFA for a while now. And just maybe we will get more details on just how it will proceed. That will be in August when the tournament is launched in Tanzania. Yes, so we'll find out more then. And uh, yeah, while the European Super League didn't get off the ground, the African Super League looks like it might happen. And the other important decision there from the CAF president, Patrice Motsepe, uh, the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations is going to be held in January and February of 2024. Uh, this due to the rainy weather in Ivory Coast in the middle of the year. Uh, now, Guinea hosts the next edition also in West Africa. Uh, it looks like we're almost going back to the January-February hosting again now, Ida. <laughs> Steve, I'm laughing because this weather and rainy season take is now used so often. And look, once again, I'll ask, if it really is the weather and whatnot, Aren't these things to consider much earlier, you know, when the bids are actually being put in place? Now, with that said, with the FIFA World Cup happening at the end of the year, it was always a big doubt, at least to me, that the AFCON was going to go on at the previously specified time. I mean, add to that the fact that the sports world is still reeling from effects of COVID, you know, with some competitions yet to catch up in terms of timing, then it's tricky all round. 
Steve, the African will once again fall right smack in the middle of all European leagues. So chances are high that it will be another round of African football versus foreign leagues, you know, trying everything under the sun to keep their players with the club over the country row. Yes, indeed. And that one just goes on and on, doesn't it? Uh, Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and also access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv. Let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK now, and uh, plenty to talk about on the transfer market, Stuart. Well, Steve, we're still at the beginning of the transfer window, and there are perhaps more rumours than confirmed transfers, but let's see what's happening. Champions Manchester City have made two big signings, each for about $60 million. Erling Haaland, we've talked about, and Calvin Phillips from Leeds United. And, of course, this has then triggered the departure, first of Gabriel Jesus, to Arsenal for $55 million. So, interestingly, they got almost the same fee as they they paid for Haaland. And Raheem Sterling, a London boy, has now decided to leave for Chelsea. Uh, Fascinating that suddenly, seemingly having done so well to bring in two top players, they're losing two as well. Now, we mentioned before that Manchester United have seen a number of experienced players leave this summer. Paul Pogba, Juan Mata, Jetty Lingard, Nemanja Matic, Edison Cavani. But their only signing so far is Terrell Malasia from Feyenoord for $18 million. This has left some United fans scratching their head, given that Malasia is a left-back, and United already have Luke Shaw and Alex Telles. So a lot of people are just wondering that surely the club would have higher priorities in recruiting than a third left-back. We understand they're still pursuing Frankie de Jong from Barcelona, but without success so far. And there are rumours that Ronaldo wants to leave because he wants to play Champions League football. Watch the space. Newly promoted Nottingham Forest have made three significant signings. Taiwo Awaniye from Union Berlin. He's a 24-year-old Nigerian. He was once a Liverpool player but never actually got a game for Liverpool and has made a career in Belgium, Netherlands and Germany before returning to England with Nottingham Forest. And interestingly, Dean Henderson has gone on loan from Manchester United. Now, a year ago... When David De Gea's form had dipped, it looked like Henderson could become the Manchester United number one. But in the end, last season, he didn't get one Premier League game, just three cup ties. So he's gone on loan. Now, we mentioned previously that Tottenham have been doing tremendous business in the transfer market, signing Ivan Perisic, Fraser Foster and the Malian Eve Basuma. And they've now added Rick Carlison from Everton, for $70 million. Now, that's a really good move, I think. West Ham have signed the Moroccan Naif Aguerd from Rennes for about $35 million, we understand. And they've also signed a goalkeeper, Alphonse Arola. He's French, and they paid about $15 million for him. And, of course, Fabianski 
is their number one, but he is 37, so perhaps they're planning for the future. Everton have lost Richarlison and signed James Tarkovsky from Burnley. Now, Leeds, we mentioned, have lost Calvin Phillips, but they've used their money to sign four players. Tyler Adams from Leipzig, Brendan Arison and Rasmus Christensen from Salzburg, and Mark Rocca from Bayern Munich. Now, you need to know that Jesse Marsh used to be the manager of Salzburg and Leipzig, so he's effectively signing three of his former players. Burnley have lost James Tarkovsky to Everton and Nick Pope to Newcastle. And this just shows how hard it is for relegated clubs to bounce back when they lose some of their best players. Yeah, indeed. And uh, away from the transfer news, Mauricio Pochettino has been fired by French giants Paris Saint-Germain and has been replaced by Christophe Galtier, a former coach of French club Nice. Uh, well, I guess we can't be surprised at this with uh, PSG's ambition, Stuart. Well, uh, it is curious because it's the worst-kept secret in football because it, for months we've known that uh, Pochettino was going to go at the end of the season. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain won the French league title this season by 15 points. Yes, 15 points. And to put that in context, PSG are the dominant club in France. They've won the league eight of the last 11 seasons, and they're second the other three. However, the rich Qatari owners of the club are wanting more. They're wanting Champions League success. And now last season, Pochettino did take them to the semi-finals of the Champions League. And you may recall that this season, they reached the round of the last 16 and were leading Real Madrid by two goals with half an hour of the second leg to go, only for Benzema to score three goals in half an hour and knock them out. Last season, the club, and it is suspected that this was more the club owners than Pochettino, signed Lionel Messi. But it didn't really work out. In Messi's previous 12 seasons at Barcelona, he scored between 25 and 50 league goals every season. For PSG, he scored only six. And there was also the same criticism of him that we heard about Cristiano Ronaldo, that he played as an individual and that the other nine outfield players had to cover for him. I've said previously that it always looks to me that the PSG team is a bit unbalanced. You've got Messi... Neymar and Mbappe up front, amazing, but then the defence is not of the same standard. Last season, PSG signed Real Madrid legend Sergio Ramos, but that was another flop, as the 36-year-old only started eight league games all season while drawing a high salary. I think it's an interesting question whether a French club can be so dominant in its own national league and still reach the standard to win the Champions League. You know, top clubs in the English Premier League, Spain's La Liga, Italy's Serie A, get better by playing against clubs of equal quality week in, week out. Not being challenged in the National League is definitely a hindrance to PSG. Going back to Pochettino, as a player, the 50-year-old Argentinian international played 10 years for Espanyol in Spain, 3 years for PSG, his first job as a manager was back at Espanyol, where he spent five years. He then came to Southampton for two years and Tottenham for six, and he's had two years 
at PSG. He was immensely popular as manager of Tottenham, finishing second in the Premier League and taking the team into the Champions League four times, including a Champions League final. He also took Tottenham to the League Cup final, but he didn't actually win a trophy for them. But it was still a big surprise when he was fired by Tottenham in 2020. And frankly, his successor, Jose Mourinho, who lasted less than two seasons, followed by Nuno, who was gone in a few months, neither of them came close to equaling what he had done. The general opinion would be that he was harshly treated by Tottenham and again by PSG, where arguably he achieved as much as anyone could. I wouldn't expect him to be out of a job for long. No, too good for that. And uh, what else have you got for us, Stuart? The Women's European Championship started this week in England, with England beating Austria at Old Trafford in front of a crowd of 68,871. An amazing crowd for a women's game. And it's really hoped that the event will become a watershed for women's football with an opportunity to take it to the next level in terms of spectator attendance... And the game was shown live on BBC One at prime time. A great period for women's football in Britain. Oh, wow. Great crowds there. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Stuart. Uh, right. Before we go, our question on social media this week. Uh, which player would you like your English Premier League club to sign? Uh, plenty happening on the transfer market ahead of the new English Premier League season. Uh, so which player would you like your favourite club to sign in the Premier League and why? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero that's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero which player would you like your english premier league club to sign from east steve vickers in harare from ida waringa in nairobi and from Stuart weir in the uk thanks a lot for listening and planet sport football africa is a passion for sport production